We're going to be in Mark chapter 1, chapter 11, verse 1. Yeah, we'll just start over. We're 43 weeks into Mark, and we'll just start over in week 1. No, Mark chapter 11, uh, verse 1. We're going to be in 1 through 11. I'm thinking those candles aren't going to light anything on fire with the draft going there, but if so, we might have some pyrotechnics up here as, as we're going today, so I'll try not to get too distracted by that, and you either. Uh, so, as we come into to Mark chapter 11, we've been seeing all kinds of different lessons that Christ has been teaching us, and we could break this series down into a whole bunch of different things, but we really get an opportunity to see that, that um, our king um, came not just as a king, but he is redefining what kingship looks like. And today, as we come to chapter 11, we're making a very pivotal turn where he's entering into Jerusalem for the Passion, the final, final day's week of his life. And so we get an opportunity to really look closely at, at, uh, at him and, and his kingdom. And he's been redefining his kingdom for us, so we're going to look at that just a little bit. But what we see about Christ is that he's so different than every other king up until that point in time, and certainly every other king or power figure that we know of today. He's certainly not a, an Alexander or Napoleon type king, but he, he comes with a, a different message, a message that he lived out for most of his days and a, a message and a kingdom in which was foretold from the beginning of time. So let's, let's look, we'll break this down, start in verse 1, and it says this, now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. Now, we'll pause there for a moment. I don't know about you, but I'm just trying to wrestle with what the disciples, what the people that were following Jesus, and also the people that were in Jerusalem, what they must have been feeling. Uh, probably this mixture of a great deal of excitement as well as a great deal uh, of tension. Um, and, and they're following him all the way um, from, from Jericho. Uh, it, it was, of course, the same time as the, the Passover celebration where where the, the nation Israel would celebrate and commemorate the liberation of slavery from the land of Egypt. And there certainly were some that were wondering, is what's Jesus up to coming into town at the same time? Uh, and in recent weeks, we've noticed, um, as we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, that Jesus has not been at all silent about what his purpose was going into Jerusalem. Just in Mark chapter 10, just right before we were here, he says this, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. Now, I want to stop there for a moment because they were in Jericho when he was saying this. Jericho is just simply 12 miles from Jerusalem, 12 or so miles. But the problem is this, or the difference is this. Jericho is the, the, the lowest city on earth, 800 feet below sea level. Jerusalem, just 12 miles away, is 3,000 feet above sea level. And so in the, in the span of just... 12 miles, they're going from 800 feet below to 3,000 feet above. So, so obviously there's, there's this great deal of a journey, and it's really a trek to go from those elevation changes. But to see we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, 
he will rise. And so here they are. They've made this journey. They're making this journey towards Jerusalem. They've come to this area of Bethany and Bethpage. And I'll, just to give you a little map here, this is a picture of it. Pulled this out from my Bible, my Bible school days. But um, here, so they're right somewhere in this ballpark, which is about a two-mile, a mile to two trek into where Jerusalem is at. So this is where this is taking place at this point in time. And as we've talked about Christ up until this point in time, we've seen he's been redefining what it means to be a subject of his kingdom. He started back in chapter 10 when he talked about coming to him with the faith of a child, that we are completely helplessly dependent. We don't come to God on our own merit. We don't come to Christ um, and clean ourselves up. We come to him saying we're helplessly lost without a savior. We, we can't do it on our own. We need you. Then he went and he talked to the rich young, about the rich young ruler, this man that came. and In, in essence, he wanted to try and, and earn his way or even maybe buy his way into God's kingdom. And, and Jesus says, no, that's not how it works. Um, you have to give up everything to come and follow me. And, and the rich young ruler went away sad. And then, and then we saw last week uh, Bar- Bartimaeus, Bart, who was stuck on the side of the road, but he pushed aside every obstacle and he went after Christ wholeheartedly. He didn't fall prey to the skeptics in his life. And, and he pursued Jesus with a passion and an excitement. So we're seeing this re- redefinition of what it means to be a subject of a kingdom. And as we look here, we're seeing this as well. As subjects of a kingdom, there are rules to follow. There's ordinances to, to follow. There's behaviors maybe to follow. But the first thing that we recognize and we see that I want to point out in this passage is that as subjects of God's kingdom, as subjects under the messianic kingdom of Jesus, uh, number one, we're, we remember that Jesus is in the untying business. Jesus is in the business of untying. Certainly not the main point of this passage, but as I'm reading through and studying this, this is traditionally the triumphal entry passage, the the passage that you preach on on Palm Sunday, very important in the life of a believer's understanding this. But in this particular sense, as we're going through this, very practically, Jesus really is in the business of untying knots in people's lives. He, up until this point, has healed the sick. He's raised people from the dead. He's brought them hope. He's brought them forgiveness. He's brought them, really, salvation. That's what he's done. But he's still today in the business of untying knots. And and I'll say, all of us in here, or I hope, I don't know if all of us in here, but most of us in here are, are, I'll just say, X something. Our life was tied up in in some form of a knot or other throughout time. There could be... In here, ex-alcoholics, there's ex-food addicts, ex-addicted to porn, ex-addicted to self. There's ex, I had someone tell me this week, I'm an ex-jerk, that's what he said. Uh, I'm an ex-jerk. We have those that are, that are ex-prideful, um, arrogant know-it-alls, or trying to get in that direction anyway. There's ex-drug addicts. And, and the reality is that, that, that sin ties us up and has us bound in knots and Jesus came to untie to loose and really to demolish those knots we're in this fun process of moving uh, moving a little bit closer very close into town on the church rental property and uh, we've been I've got a trailer hooked up to the back of my truck and I'm towing it everywhere every time I come over from our house to our our, our soon-to-be house I'm just dragging whatever and so I'll throw stuff on there and as I'm going through tying things down or specifically using ratchet straps if you know what those are these ratchet straps well I've got a five gallon bucket and I've got 
a hundred ratchet straps in there, and I go and you pull one out, and they're all kind of hooked together. You kind of get that picture. Well, that's okay. You spend a minute and you untying them, but what real, once you get one out, you start to stretch it out, and you realize that the last time it got cinched down, there was a knot, and that knot got cinched really, really, really tight. Have you noticed that when, when there's a knot in a ratchet strap? And so you sit there and you, you, you fumble with your stubby little fingers, and you finally are able to get that, that knot undone, right? You know what I'm saying? And, and when you get that knot completely undone, you'll notice it's nice to have the knot undone, but there's still some wrinkliness to the rope. There's still some wrinkliness to the strap. And I would think for, for all of us, there's still some wrinkliness in our lives. It's not like we're perfect. Once, we, once Jesus has come along and he has uh, untied that rope, um, we are in the process of becoming more and more like him becoming less and less wrinkly, uh, bec- and, and as, that, as we work out our salvation, as James would say, or as the process of sanctification takes place in our life, maybe some of those ripples go away and, and whatnot. But, but I don't know about you, but I do know that there are those in here, even probably today, that, that come and they're tied up in knots. And I don't know what the knot is in your life. Uh, maybe, it is, maybe it is just simply the knot of you're lost in your own sin and you, your pride and you have not yet released your heart to Christ Jesus. Um, that's the biggest knot that can be dealt with. But there's all kinds of other different knots uh, that we need to take to Christ and allow him to untie because he is in the business of untying knots in our lives. That's what he's good at. And uh, I could testify to that. And as we do testimonies up here, I know many of you can testify to that as well. Christ is in the business of untying knots. And that's, that's exciting. That's exciting. So you can come in here today tied up in knots, but but because of the work of Christ and your confession of your own sin, you can leave and you can walk away free, unfettered, uh, loosed, released from those knots. And that's, that's good news. That's the good news that we talk about as a church when we say we are uh, about reaching with the gospel of Jesus, those that are near to us but far from Christ. That's what we're saying. We're, we're making that offer very real and present that, that we get to come to Christ as we are and, and let him take care of the knots in our lives because of his shed blood on the cross for us. Uh, and, and so Here's some things that Jesus has said. If you're like, I don't know if I'm ready to be unknotted. I, I, I'm kind of comfortable in my knotted state or that knot is just too tight. I can't release that knot. I can't, can't even imagine that knot being untied. I'm just going to learn to live with that knot. I'm just going to um, accept it as it is. Um, and, and there's a fear that's keeping you from getting that knot untied, which by that I mean turning your life over to Christ. Here are a few encouragements for you specifically. These encouragements come from the Savior God that we worship each and every day, hopefully. And here it is, John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives it, but as I give it. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Peace is something that is something we talk about uh, this time of year, but not oftentimes something that all people experience. And it's snowing, and that's awesome. I've shared with you before, I am ADD by nature, so. <laughs> Though our sins were as scarlet. Okay. Peace I leave with you. Maybe it's a peace like a fresh fallen snow. Tie it back in. There we go. Fresh fallen snow. Um, 
This is still even today a, a, Christian, a Christian supreme greeting. Peace be with you. Um, also, look at here in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. It says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Have you received King Jesus into your life and let him be your love, your joy, your peace, your forgiveness, your self-control? Have you allowed him to untie the knot in the sin of your heart? And if you have not, I just encourage you to do that today. I'd love to talk to you about that after the service. Also, if you are one that um, you have had that knot untied, but there's still some pretty pronounced wrinkles, if you know what I'm saying, there's still some things that aren't quite yet worked out and you need prayer for those things, please, please don't, don't. Stay alone in that place because that's not what we're, what we're about as followers of Jesus. His kingdom isn't about having any lone rangers or solo, solo acts. So another facet to Jesus' untying business that we see here is that in Jesus' untying business, he's really the one that does the work, yes? But he uses the us's to do that. He uses us and by us, I don't mean us individually. I mean us as us, us kind of us corporately as well as us as a, as a church family. And you'll notice here he says as he's going on there, he, he sends two disciples to go and untie this cult, um, this cult. He uses two disciples to do this. We see this pattern all throughout Jesus' teaching. He'll send out disciples in pairs or sends them out in groups because in order to do his business, it's best if we have someone that walks through life with us. And I want to ask you, who, who is the person in your life, and I, I hope you can identify them right now, but who is the person in your life that encourages you in faith? I have a lot of people in my life that encourage me in my Seahawk fandness. Um, I have a lot of people in my life that encourage me in my hobbiness and the things that I like to do. I have a lot of people in my life that encourage me towards gluttony um, or, or that leaning. Uh, and, and I have a few people that will encourage me in my walk with Christ, a few people that I can go to and, and kind of just cut myself open and say, Ugh, I'm really struggling with this. I messed up with this. I need prayer. I need counsel. Uh, I just need someone to kick me. I need someone to lift me up. You cannot make it uh, in the kingdom of God without those peoples in your life. It's not the way that you're designed to live and designed to operate. And I just challenge you to, to make sure you have that person. And if you don't, pray. Ask the Lord for that person. He will bring that person to you. You need, we all need those people in, in our lives. Maybe it's just one. Maybe it's not. Um, maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's not. Um, I'm, I'm reading through the... the um, uh, the life again of John Newton. I've just kind of fallen in love with John Newton. He's the writer of Amazing Grace, um, the most famous song ever written. And what's interesting about John Newton is that um, he was much more of a pastor and a preacher than he was a songwriter. He actually just wrote songs um, in the same way as, as an illustration tool. So he would write a sermon, then he would just kind of write a, a song or a song to go with it. And that's where Amazing Grace came out of one of his hundreds if not thousands of, of hymns that he wrote. But with, with John Newton, what's interesting, he's this theological powerhouse. But um, his wife was a woman named Polly. And the culture of that day considered Polly 
what was the actual word of that? A scatterbrain. Polly was a scatterbrain. In our day, that means she's an airhead. And, and, and so you have this theological powerhouse who's written the most famous song in all of the world, still to this day, Amazing Grace. Uh, and then you have his wife who can't even have theological discussions with him at all. She just can't. It's in his writings. And yet when you read his journals, which is always, I, I would be terrified for people to read my journals, but his journals are published. And, and he says, my number one fear in life is that my love for my wife would, would exceed my love for the Lord. And, and I think he did a pretty good job at that, but I, I guess the reason I bring this point out is they, they couldn't have, they, weren't, they were different in that sense, but, but they still appreciated and loved each other for their differences. She didn't like listening to him go on and on about theological doctrine, and, and he wasn't so excited about some of the more airheady conversations that, that she had. But there was this deep love and intimacy. And I find that as a great encouragement um, for, for those of us, especially those of us who um, are in, in relationships, marriage relationships. And I hear this oftentimes. Different people in our lives are like, well, I really wish my husband or my, I really wish my wife. I, I was talking with a buddy. He's like, I really wish my wife was a believer. And, um, and yet he's got this great opportunity still to love her so well um, in, this, in this particular way. And so... The us part of it is so important, learning to, to walk together hand in hand with, with those that we're close to, whether it's our spouse or whether it's not. You don't need to have all things in common to, to be an encouragement and to love one another perfectly. So uh, another shameless plug for what Mike talked about earlier is our growth groups. This is an opportunity that we really want to make sure that everyone in our church has an opportunity to have spiritual connection outside of a Sunday morning service. Friends, really, friends that kind of point you to Christ. All right, moving on. Verse 3. Verse 3, it says this. If anyone says to you, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street. And they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing? Untying the colt. And they told them what Jesus had said and they let him go. So as subjects of the King of Kings, this new coming Messiah, as subjects of God's kingdom, we not only know that Jesus is in the business of untying knots, but we also expect um, opposition, and in the midst of that opposition, we remain obedient to him, remain obedient to our call and our faith in him. Look at what Jesus, he sends these two disciples to untie the colt, and then he says, if anyone says, this is Jesus, if anyone says, why are you doing this, say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back immediately. The Lord has need of it, and will send it back immediately. There is great opposition to, um, to those who want to walk in faith today. There's great opposition that's there. Um, and, and yet, um, we, in the midst of that opposition, must remain obedient. Uh, we, we see this, for example, um, there's these new and heavy sanctions that have been imposed on North Korea. I don't know if you've seen this in the news just the last 24, 48 hours. Um, but it's obvious for obvious reasons that these sanctions have, have been put in place. Uh, North Korea is a, is a threat to, to the, the global picture and having these nuclear options. And as followers of Christ, we have to understand that, that we have this opposition we have this opposition, and this opposition oftentimes wants to, to sideline us. We'll get a directive from the Lord. We sense that God is saying, you know what, just write a letter to this person. 
And then the other thought comes in, no, you know what, that, they would think that I'm being, you know, nosy. Or you have the thought that says, you know, I, I really want to share Christ with this person at work. And then the other thought is like, no, but what happens if they, they judge me or it makes my life miserable at work? Or you have another thought of, I want to love this person in this special way, but no, that would just make me feel too uncomfortable. Those thoughts that come in, those thoughts aren't from the Lord. Those thoughts are either from the world or from Satan. Those are where those oppositional thoughts come into, come into our mind. And we have to understand as followers of, of Christ and subjects of his kingdom that we're going to have opposition. Jesus said, when you go to untie this cult, someone make, if, if someone says to you, what are you doing, then you tell them. You tell them that I'm following the Lord's directive. I'm listening to God. I'm doing what Jesus is telling me to do. I'm not doing what other others are telling me to do we almost remind ourselves of who is our master who is our king who is our lord that's what he's having them do here and it's illustrated well for us i had a brother sharing with me this week that that um he and his wife are just they're at odds they're just butting heads and he's really frustrated with it and he got alone he was wrestling and in prayer about this whole situation and trying to figure out a way that he could be right in this scenario and uh, i've never done anything like that before but he i was you know i was consoling him but here he is he's sharing he's sharing this and then he realized he goes i i just realized that my wife is not my enemy that my wife is not my enemy um, in, there's, there's another enemy, and the enemy is, is Satan. He's the one that wants me to try to justify my position so that I don't have to, to be sacrificial. I don't have to be like Christ was to the church and love her sacrificially. So he's putting all these thoughts in my head like, I deserve to be treated this way, and until I'm treated this way, I'm not going to love the way that she wants me to love or vice versa and, and those that's just the opposition that we face every day and I know that as as a church family we are constantly all of us in different ways facing different forms of opposition and one of the reasons we need each other one of the reasons we need to come together like this and to submit ourselves to listening to his word and reading his word on a regular basis is because we fall prey to the opposition that comes and instead of um, opposing that opposition um, and remaining obedient it causes in us oftentimes some ways in which we can compromise it might even be subtle compromise but it's it's very it's very possible here now the sub point of this text that i, I think is interesting as i read this i'm going to jump back here it says here jesus if, if anyone says to you why are you doing this say the lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately i just thought that's interesting the lord has need of it and he'll send it back here immediately he's basically saying I need this for a moment in time, but don't worry, I'll return it. And I guess the sub-point that I'd like to make there is, you know, as subject of God's kingdom, we learn. We've talked a lot about stewardship, but we learn that we hold on to things of this world very loosely. There, there are certain things that we need, but we hold on to those things loosely um, for his sake. And again, through the moving process, you realize, man, I'm really good at acquiring stuff that I thought at one point I had to actually have to be happy. And then I forgot I even had it. And then it just fills up space. Um, it's just an example. But I think that we can do that with physical things, but we also do that with emotional, emotional wounds and emotional knots too, that we hold on to things too tight. We make bigger issues of things that shouldn't be bigger issues. We, we can divide um, or get upset about certain things that, that really have very little value, and we're just kind of stuck in, in our own little rut 
holding on to these little issues. And so we need, as, as, as subjects of God's kingdom, we need not only to remember that he's in the business of untying knots, and we also need to remember to be obedient in, in following him and listening to him and, and, and fighting that opposition that we, we can oftentimes face. And, and it's a good time of year to bring that up just because of this, this season of commercialism that we're in. So be careful as we are stuck in this world um, and in this trap where, where we, we think stuff is more than just stuff and, and uh, we don't use money as a tool, but we use money as a God and our true wealth is found in things other than our relationship with Christ and other than our relationships with one another because that is where our true wealth is found. It's found in him. Our wealth is found in who we are in Christ and how we relate with one another. That's really what matters in, in this life. Verse 7. Verse 7 here, it says this. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And verse 11 says, And he entered Jerusalem, he went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Thirdly here, what do we see as as subjects of God's kingdom? We learn that we are living cloaks and branches. Living cloaks and branches. As subjects of King Jesus, we are living cloaks and branches and branches cloaks in that context um, they were very valuable pieces of i guess clothing or protection if it was scorchingly hot a cloak would use be used to kind of keep the sun off if if the wind was ripping they would be used to provide protection from flying sand and dirt or as i looked at this picture i don't know how well you can see it they also obviously were used to hide bad hair days um, uh, but if it was cold, it also could either be layered up and it would provide warmth. So when people here, they took off of their cloaks and they laid it on the donkey. And then they took their cloaks and they, they put those cloaks on, on the ground as, as virtually as a road. What they're doing here is they're making a strong statement about their love and their submission to the king. That's what they're doing. Now, when it comes to the palm branches, you have to realize that in that culture, back then especially, but even in today's setting there, that culture, a a living tree, greenery, was of great value. In certain contexts, it was illegal to cut off a palm branch uh, because it was one of only a few forms of color of that day. And, And so it is great value to be able to Uh, cut off a palm branch and so here the lesson is you don't just go around and cut palm branches off trees unless there's something very very special that is taking place and Jesus had been in this process of of really of radically redefining kingship through his words and through his actions And, and we we are subjects of we are part of his kingdom and and the question that we really have to wrestle with as we think about all of these things is are we like are we, like these people here, ready to, ready to give up of our property, ready to give up of our possessions, ready to give up of our valuables for his disposal, to use however he would want them to be used? Um, even, in many cases, even when 
his orders might seem to be kind of silly, like it just seems silly, I'm sure, to some of the disciples. Yeah, go grab this colt, untie it, and bring it to me. We don't really know all of Jesus' purposes, except there's some fulfillment of prophecy there, as well as it was an example that he came as a humble, a humble king, a humble servant, which had never been seen before. But are we ready to go out of our way like these people? Are we ready to go out of our way and sacrificially honor him with, with our stuff, finding in our lives the equivalents of cloak and spread those things on the ground, um, or to, to wave palm branches to make his name greater in the people that we get a chance to interact with? Or, or have we become too commercialized or too sanitized or too domesticated or trivialized within inside our Christian commitment? where at this, at this point it's a tag on to our life. Our devotion to Jesus himself is as if um, he is someone that is helping us get to a place that we want to get to, and if he's not helping me in that way, then he goes to the side rather than me coming alongside what he's doing and following him and his lead in our life. Um, so great, great transition that we're at in this book of Mark making the transition of the last week of his life, the Passion Week, as he comes into Jerusalem. And, and uh, we've spent ten chapters in, in about a little over two and a half years, and we're going to spend the next uh, about 13 chapters um, in, in a week's time. And it's, it's a great opportunity. Hopefully we're already really focusing on our Savior as we celebrate his birth this time of year, but it's going to be another great time to look at his, his kingship and what that what that means in our everyday world because frankly without this we none of us would be here uh, today um, and, and that's 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 good news it's exciting news I, I'd like to um, close in prayer have the worship team will come up and close us out in song and just want to encourage you to have a, a, a great Merry Christmas Eve Merry Christmas look for opportunities just to shine uh, the goodness of your king in the lives of the people uh, that you're going to be interacting with this this holiday season, or especially over these next few few days.